The second album, the uh, Steel Town album, didn't do quite commercially quite as well as, as the first. Why do you think that was? It's too wild. <laughs> I think it's a very dense album. It's very hard to listen to. I think it's... It goes at full tilt all the time. All right, welcome back to the Great Divide podcast. This is part three of our Steel Town deep dive. Will it be the final part? We do not know, but we are going to see if it is. <laughs> Who knows? I know Tom hopes it is. I do hope it is, but I, that's just me. I, I like to keep albums to three episodes, but Steel Town is special. If it goes to four, it goes to four. So uh, the best way to keep it from happening is for me just to shut up and let's just jump right into where we left off the last time. Okay, girl with gray eyes. And so we come to the controversial song of the album. The one that is most often pointed to as people's least favorite on Steel Town, I think. Don't, don't you have that impression, too? Yeah, it seems like uh, if anyone is... There are a lot of people that love it, but it seems like when someone says there's a song they don't like, this is the one they point to the most often, which I don't personally get, but I'm spoiling my own reviews. Yeah, so no, but to, to some degree I can understand it on the level that one song always needs to be ranked last, and that doesn't need to be an indication of quality... But I get the sense that a lot of people don't like it or don't think it fits. Yeah, that's what I get. Too. Uh, so uh, whether it fits or not, well, it, it certainly stands out. But uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. First of all, just to establish it, who is the girl with gray eyes? And I think most of us know. But just for those who don't know or uh, aren't sure, uh, we get a clue in the last verse of the song where he sings, Alexandra will never sound the same, not a Roman game, just a feeling. And I know at the time I heard that name will never be the same, only better. So she has a name, Alexandra. And as we heard in the Rolling Stone interview, which Tom spent quite some time reading out for us in the first Steel Town Deep Dive, the <laughs> Alexandra reference is in fact attributed to Stuart's wife, Sandra. So there we have it. Uh, he's writing a song about his wife, or at least puts a tribute to her in the song, because I don't think we should assume all the song is there. So at the very least, there is a tribute it might be the whole song. That's, uh, that's for others to know and for us to speculate about. So uh, whether it was just a nice reference or a full-fledged tribute or whether the song is meant to be fully autobiographic, the song itself is definitely a romantic one. So throwing in the song of a loved one is a nice touch. Uh, I, I think uh, I've seen some people who really like the song appreciating that uh, and mentioning it as a benchmark of real romantic love with an overwhelming feeling that the other person somehow completes you and that's what i get when i read these words there they are uh, people who think this song doesn't quite fit or it stands out they're, they're kind of right because they are very very different to, to the rest of the album uh it has one central theme however in common with east of eden which uh, is one that uh, emerged over the years. And I'm going to put you on the spot, Tom. Do you know what I might be thinking about? 
Mm. I don't offhand. Maybe the the ending. Like it ends on that. Well, no, East of Eden fades out. It doesn't end like that. I don't know. Now I'm thinking of uh, themes, really. And the theme that I see this song has in common with East of Eden is that both songs are, in essence, songs about waiting. Mm, uh, and that's they're wait- true. They're waiting for very different things, for sure. But the intense yearning for a woman in Girl with Grey Eyes is no doubt less intense than the yearning in East of Eden for the situation to change. And just like on East of Eden, I'm wondering if the yearning in Girl with Grey Eyes is a passive yearning. Uh, this is clearly not realized love yet. This is a one-sided affair at this stage. And uh, I don't know if we can say it's unrequited love because... Oh, I don't agree with that. Well, let me go along and we'll see how, how you put it. Um, I think... As, thank you. <laughs> let me see. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I don't know if it's unrequited love because for that to happen, the intentions must have been let known and rejected. And what's certain here is the love is conditional and it's intensely strong on the side of the narrator. Uh, it's a very different song to the rest of the album, both lyrically and musically, which is probably why people sing it out as a least fave. And uh, like I said, I understand it on some level, because Stuart sings about despair, people being killed, deeply troubling things, and then comes a song about loving looks, looking into your eyes, being utterly romantic. And that, on one hand, clashes totally with the rest of the album. Uh, And there are songs on other albums where we agreed the words and music didn't fit the album, where arguably they were more in line with the album than what you could say Girl with Grey Eyes is for Steel Town. Uh, But I'm really glad the song is here, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I think this song defines Stuart as not only a man of strong negative emotions about what he hates, but also a man of deep, passionate, positive emotions for those whom he loves. So you Mm. have love and hate. Within the dark, there's a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of joy. And hate can be an intense emotion, a genuine destructive force on a personal level. And love can be equally intense. It can bridge gaps, create hope, create happiness. And in some way, there are polar opposites, but they're just as intense. So if this was a soppy love song, I would have wanted to throw it off the album with all the ones to criticize it. But it isn't. It's fiercely intense. It's made even stronger by the longing. So I I mentioned that I thought this is a passive yearning, and you said you didn't quite agree. Um, So so we'll see that when when you get to it. The reason I think it's a passive yearning and the intentions haven't been made clear yet is uh, the, the song is filled with gambling metaphors. So uh, this girl smiles. You make me smile with all the feeling that you deal in like a gambler. That's, uh, this woman smiles and he feels all jiggity. And it makes him feel like he's a winner. Uh, he, you, she, he clearly gets all these feelings. So utterly and utterly in love. And uh, the Josephine line is very interesting. And uh, we talked about it before. And you, you mentioned there's a Napoleon reference. I'll let you come with that one. That he was known for... Uh, declining his wife, not wanting to have sex with her. I have a reference from a book that someone brought up on the mailing list uh, nearly 20 years ago, and it's kind of funny, because you la- you asked me off the air, where did I get all my Stuart quotes from that I mentioned in the last couple episodes? And I actually fired up the computer that 
I used back in 88, 89, and it still has all the mailing lists that we had. Oh and my the, gosh, and, you still have the same computer? I still have the same computer. It's actually wow. sitting on the floor next to me. It's not connected right now. But wow. I fired it up a year and a half ago, and I pulled out a lot of Stuart quotes and things that I thought, that might come in handy later. So, <laughs> And one of the things I got out of those discussions back from that time was uh, a reference to the lines, just like Josephine, it will not be tonight. Uh, that is an indication that there will be no union yet. He has not given out hope that it will happen. But uh, the Josephine reference is kind of puzzling. And a lot of people have over the years, and even back in those days of the mailing list, mentioned the Napoleon reference. But also, there was mention of a book. I mean, O. Stewart read a lot of books and found inspiration in them for this album. Uh, I don't know if you read this one, because, but someone mentioned a book that I don't know what book it is, but it was a story about a very rich man who lived somewhere in the U.S. West Coast during the turn of the century, and he built this tremendous mansion for his soon-to-be wife, Josephine. And she was someone that he dearly loved, and he ended up waiting a long time to marry for this mansion to be built, and then everything would be ready, and then they planned to go ahead. And uh, this took a while, and the man had become old at the time the mansion was done. Uh, but with the mansion finally completed for her, they got married, and right after the ceremony, they set off by train to New York City for their honeymoon. Then the man took ill on the train and was placed in a hospital when they arrived um, They arrived there in New York, and he quickly died. So, just like Josephine, it will not be tonight. The night of much anticipation for them never occurred, and all the waiting was never rewarded. So <laughs> that, that always struck me, and I, I kind of thought of that, and I was glad I found it when I, when I looked for it, because this... Um, even if this story doesn't directly relate to uh, Stuart's inspirations and it might be about the napoleon thing i think it's uh, a little deeper than that the napoleon reference is strikingly cold and uh, this story is much more romantic and there is the waiting aspect which i feel the song is full of uh, so uh, that's yeah, what i always that think of yeah it's a line that never made perfect sense to me either within the context of how i interpret the song so it's an odd line there's there's no doubt about it and why don't I'll you just talk about the napoleon reference well, it, it's even that is is, is um, questioned. I mean, it, apparently it came from uh, a 1915 song that mentioned "Not Tonight, Josephine," and then at some point it got attributed to an actual being an actual quote from Napoleon, which most people don't think it was, but uh, something referencing uh, his wife Josephine, uh, where he would say "Not Tonight, Josephine," because people would mock that apparently mock him saying that he did not enjoy sexual relations with his wife and mm. she would ask him and he would say not tonight josephine he would he would put her off now it's funny because i've actually heard this line in other songs too there's a there's a tori amos song that i can't think of the title offhand but she says not tonight josephine in the song and right it, it's become a it's become a used line yeah. uh, in pop music and i don't really i mean i'll get to my own interpretation of this later but yeah, it's it's one of those lines that eludes me as far as the actual meaning in his head when he was writing this. But uh, mm, definitely, but yeah, I definitely don't. Uh, I mean, waiting and stuff might be in there, I, but I definitely feel like it's a relationship that's that's there in the song. 
one of the telling things to me is one of the lines that I think is not the greatest line Stuart ever wrote, which is, I am the ticket, you the prize, when begins the winning. So he clearly thinks that, he, he puts it in the, in the visuals that if this guy is the ticket, and it's clearly the winning ticket in his mind, no other person can win this prize, which is this woman. But when begins the winning? They haven't called out the number yet, but when they do, of course it will be this guy. So that line kind of cements it a bit for me, that uh, he's waiting for that winning to happen, and uh, it hasn't happened yet. So it uh, it kind of works on that level, but if you look at the words themselves, it is kind of cheesy, and that's that's one line I'm not super keen on myself. So that's an example of something that perhaps uh, should have used something else. But uh, mm-hmm. as far as explaining what he's after... Uh, that uh, that definitely points to it being unresolved at this point. So uh, yeah, I, I don't have too much more to add, and I'll, I'll let you uh, call out all your disagreements uh, eventually. I'll skip to the music because this is very different musically too. Uh, it's uh, a total change of pace because it's slow and it's gentle. And it's full of beautiful melodic harmonies, not just vocals, but the guitar too. And a lot of really soft interwoven guitar parts playing throughout the song, really. And even some fantastic bass harmonizing by Tony alongside the guitars. Just mm. listening during the intro or the sections after each chorus before the next verse, the way Tony just floats on top with ethereal playing, it's absolutely fantastic. So if anyone out there never paid attention to Tony's bass lines in Girls with Grey Eyes, I urge you to go back and revisit the song and focus just on that. Because I think this song contains some of his most amazing playing on the album. Which is kind of uh, interesting because it's a slow song, so it should be an easy song, a straightforward song. But the way he plays on top of the guitars and harmonize with them, it's it's absolutely uh, just staggering. Well, Tony agrees with you. He's often cited this song as one of his favorite moments. Mm. And I agree with Tony. Man. <laughs> it's, Come on it's, the show, Tony. It's an internal circle. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll dig everything is done ever. Not that we didn't if he comes on the <laughs> show. But uh, I, I don't want to go past the guitars that quickly because what truly makes this song gorgeous to me is the sound of the guitars. And uh, the intro, just to take that, it's utterly amazing. Uh, when I first heard this song, I had never heard any other song that quite sounded like this. And uh, if I call Tony's bass playing ethereal, then the guitar lines in the intro and throughout the song is almost otherworldly. Uh, I I just find the high-pitched harmonizing guitar sounds just dripping down over the intro. It's it's just such an amazing sound. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember having heard that in too many other songs, if any other songs. I can't think of any one offhand. And it comes back on the chorus, it comes back several other places in the song, and the way the guitars weave and create that soundscape, it's absolutely amazing. And this is one of the places where I always wished for a clearer production to better hear the guitar parts of the song. Uh, For now, unfortunately, that isn't possible. But uh, on the other hand, I think we have a surprise for everybody. Yes, we do. Uh, this is an amazing surprise, and it, it's it always surprises me 
how rarely people comment on some of the, the little Easter eggs that we apparently that we occasionally put in some of these shows, and <laughs> and and, and epi- not all the time now. Now everybody's going to look for one in every episode, but occasionally we'll put one in there. And we did in part one. We had a, a instrumental track of East of Eden playing in the background of our discussion, and it was just guitars playing, and only one person, and then actually two. But, but it took a while for the second one. Only one person noticed and said, what was that? <laughs> Someone said, was that you, Tom, playing? And that, no, it wasn't me. Um, what it was, and this leads into this surprise that Sly mentioned, is Bruce sent us a couple of what he called guide tracks, guide, G-U-I-D-E, in case you can't understand what I'm saying, um, of guitar. And he, it's stuff that he and Jamie worked out and recorded in preparation for learning the songs that they played and are playing on the Steel Town Tour. So he sent me two. One was East of Eden, which just had Bruce's guitar on one side and Jamie's guitar on the other. And then he sent us a second one that I was never expecting to see, and that was Girl with Gray Eyes. And uh, we, at the time that he sent this, Bruce had been on record saying that this was probably the one song they were not going to play because it was just too difficult and something they mm-hmm. just probably too hard to, to work out. But hey, they did it. They did an incredible job. And I think we we were both just stunned by the the sounds of this. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it goes back to you hear the guitar parts, how wonderful they are in the song, but here you really have them served up front, and this this is gorgeous. This is gorgeous. Yes. So let's play it, and Svein and I will talk over it in its entirety. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry, Mark Cole. We are not going to talk over this one. But this is Girl with Gray Eyes, the guide track from Bruce and Jamie, recorded in 2014.
So this is a great divide exclusive, the guide track of Girl with Gray Eyes by Bruce Watson and Jamie Watson, recorded in 2014 and given to us to play for you. So can't thank you enough, Bruce, for doing that. It's just amazing that you allowed this, us to play this and gave this to us. And it's little little nuggets like this that uh, really just we can't express enough how much we appreciate it. It's, it's mm. incredible. I know you feel the same way, and I do too. I already love the song, and I'll talk about that in a second. But this really elevated my love of the song even more, just especially musically, just to hear how just intricate it is and, and interesting it is. It's so different than so many other, so most other songs. It's just yeah. such a unique construction of a song. No, it's gorgeous. I think the the one thing it would have in common with other songs on the album musically is that all the parts weave in and out of each other. <laughs> so that's the Steel Town sound. And even a song as fundamentally different as uh, as Girl with Grey Eyes don't really escape that treatment. But yeah. uh, there are some phenomenal parts in there, and this is one of them. Now we know it a little bit better. Yeah, really. And who knows? Maybe some of you guys who never uh, loved this song, maybe this will change a little bit of that for you too i don't know but uh it it, sh- it should at least give you a good it's always great to hear the bare bones of some of these songs and mm. it it gives you just a much better insight into the care and, and the craft that went into constructing them and it's just a master craftsman who <laughs> it's just a master craftsman who cre- created this song and that goes for all four of them mm-hmm. so um because there's so much to add to it but uh I don't know, is this is this my cue to start talking about Girl with Gray Eyes, or did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I might add it as you go along. Go okay. ahead. All right. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to say this is my favorite song on the album. It's not. Uh, it's probably more along the, the middling pack, but I do think this is just an amazing song. But I, I will admit that early on, it probably was the song that I would skip most often. And when, when I say early on, I mean when I first got it back in the 80s and over the years though it's really it's it's really grown more for me in esteem and um i can remember sitting in my car at one point and listening to this and just it was kind of an epiphany moment where i just thought wow this this song is is mind-bogglingly good and it it is on so many levels and 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 you're right to point out a couple of the quote-unquote weaker moments lyrically because there are maybe a couple lines in here that don't quite measure up to some of the other standards uh, that Stuart himself had set and maybe maybe like some overused cliches like church bell ringing for the morning and, and that kind of thing I, but to me the, the other lyrics of the song and some of the things that are so unique about it lyrically I think just make me not care about maybe those little tiny lapses and and a lapse for Stuart is still usually great lyric writing for, for most Yeah, but um so it, I, I'll just get straight into our disagreement about whether this is uh, about a love that's been realized or or not been realized. For me, it's it's a relationship song about a relationship that is happening. Maybe it's a relatively new relationship, but it's it's in that period where you're just crazy about each other. I, I don't I never saw this as as a as a relationship where Stuart is trying to woo someone. Um, and if you look at it, knowing that it's about Sandra and that it's it's dedicated to her and inspired – well, inspired by her, if nothing else, um, you can look at it that way as far as being a testament to the fact that it's about a relationship that's ongoing because I guess when he wrote this, he had already been married to her for 
a few years, but I would say that it was still early on in their relationship. And I know that even at this young point in his marriage, he was having these issues of being away from home, not wanting to be away from home. He was having problems already. Even when he was in the skids, he had issues with uh, the music business and what that meant to him as far as what he had to give up in his personal life. And he's even said that he just was a guy who just valued his family and his and his personal life so much. And I think that really applied to the woman he chose to, to start that family with as well. And I think we don't we don't know a lot of the details about any of this stuff, but from all accounts that I've read and talked to, um, it was a really intense love that he had for his wife, and and it was a mutual type of thing. I mean, I remember reading a line somewhere actually where Stewart was asked uh, who was the most inspirational person uh, to him, and he said his wife, and uh, he mentioned Sandra, and this was like a early eighties interview and it, and it was the perfect setup question for for a rock star to say something like oh Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King or so throw out some big name but he I was always struck by the fact that oh, he no. said oh no <laughs> yeah yeah bono yes exactly I didn't say Did that I say that <laughs> <laughs> and um but it, it was so amazing that he said his wife and and he he seemed to hold her in such high esteem in a way that really reflected the way he talks about her in this song and and also when the line will you and i always be like this will you and i always have this it it makes it seem like they have something now that he loves so much and he's afraid of that leaving and i think there's there's a certain sense of that fear uh it's it's even said specifically in in parts but I, I always get a sense that this is one of those songs where he's just like he's so in love with this person that it scares him and he he wants it to always be this way but he just he doesn't know if it will be and then this is a common emotion that a lot of people have but it's maybe a little less common that he feels this way about his wife who he's already been married to for a few years and it's it's to me that makes the song even more special and romantic and and beautiful um You've mentioned a lot of the lines already, so I'm not going to jump into a lot of the ones you've already mentioned. But to me, the line that always hit me as just being an incredibly brave line and just a just a line that is just stacked full of, of power and emotion is, you talk to me just like no other, like the brother that I never had. I've, I've never, ever in a love song heard... Um, the guy singing it refer to the woman as a brother that he never had. It's such an odd thing to do, and yep. yet it's, it's really so. Strange. Yeah, but it. But at the same time, I find it so beautiful and so powerful because you get the feeling of the other reason reasons that he would uh, the other more common ways that you would refer to a woman and talk about a woman. And he talks about I feel your skin so warm beside me. Um, they're laying together in a bed and and they feel their skin against each other so you you get that sense of that part of the relationship but then when you when you get this thing about like the brother that i never had i I just think that speaks to such a such a deepness in this relationship that goes so much deeper than just a physical type of attraction or liking each other type of thing i mean it goes right to the very core of of stewart's soul here and he clearly clearly he has a connection to this person that is so deep and goes so much more 
deep than just a typical man and woman lust love type of feeling and uh i I just love that and other lines like you hold me near inside your fear and i can feel the blood that's running i mean these lines are so staggeringly good that i almost just i don't even pay attention to the couple other ones that maybe miss the mark a little bit because these raise the bar so high i just have to say it about the brother line the reason i always found out strange is obviously i have three brothers (laughs) <laughs> and I can tell you that brothers don't have deep conversations with each other. It's more like, yeah, good, yeah, fine, right. right. Yeah, I'm the same and, way. <laughs> I've got two. <laughs> yeah, so I think this this thing, this notion of brothers having this deep and special bond. You talk to me like the brother, and uh, okay, <laughs> that um, that doesn't mean a lot uh, in my book, but uh, I get what he's saying. Obviously, I do. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I guess I don't know if Stuart had a brother. I don't believe he did. So, if you don't have a brother, you imagine it to be this deep, very special thing that uh, perhaps, you know, I have three. Maybe I take it more for granted, but I, I don't have the impression that brothers go that deeply. Best friends, I think, talk closer than brothers do. <laughs> right, right. And yeah, and I, as I say, I have two brothers, so I, and we're the same way. We, yeah. talk in, we talk in grunts and, <laughs> you know, hey, what'd you do? Okay, all right. Yeah, but so, brothers so. understand them. It's a code. <laughs> it's a brother yeah. code. You can't talk in grunts. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think, I think that's the case here. I think he's probably got this mythological view of what a quote-unquote brother is. You know, they just, yeah. like the, the twin brother bond where they know each other's thoughts and can tell each other what to do. And, but in any respect, I, I just think it's a really sweet line incredibly sweet and um so some of the lines that always kind of escaped me and mystify me still are things like uh alexandra will never sound the same not a roman game just a feeling i have no idea what he means by not a roman game do you have any idea what that might refer to no i have no cl- i have no clue no, i can't say um <clears throat> i've mentioned josephine but it, the whole josephine thing which is kind of an odd line but i still i i i get the historical context but i never quite understood what it meant in the song but um but yeah i I feel like this song is is just this longing about wanting things to stay the the way that they are and in retrospect it's even more of a sadder song considering that his, his relationship didn't inevitably work out and uh it it was apparently something that that hit him really hard when it didn't and um so that makes this, the song all these years later seem even more <laughs> devastatingly sad to me. Um, you, you really get this this picture of a young a young love that's at its fiery most fiery point, and um, it, when he, when he says, especially, "Will you and I always have this? Will you and I always be like this?" It's a common theme, but when you think about the specifics in relation to this relationship, it, it brings a lump to your throat just just thinking about what happened. And uh, I don't want to dwell on that kind of stuff. It's not my place anyway to dwell on it, but um, it's it's just a, an aside there that you can't help but look at a lot of these lyrics with the uh, with the perspective of things that happened after they were written. Mm. So um, you yeah, just can't help looking at it. Um, no, but that there's definitely a lot going on in this song. And if if this is about a relationship that is established, like you say, then definitely lines like the "It will not be tonight, but still I have this dream" is stranger 
than if it is a love not realized. Yeah, that's true. And uh, there's also the thing about uh, the ticket and the price and the winning. Uh, has he not already won if they're together? And in that case, what the heck does that mean? Then that doesn't make sense anymore. And the thing yeah. for me is the, the pleading at the end, be my woman and I will be your man. Like I know I can if you let me. Are they not all the way there? Maybe he's letting his intentions be, be known and... I, I right. don't know. They're, they're, no, I can see that completely. I can see your perspective too in a lot yeah, of those lines. Yeah, and, and I see some of yours. So, but I think um, you've got both sides almost. You, like you got you think, both sides. Yeah, there, yeah. There's there's things for and things against. Are they together? Are they not? Am I still waiting and hoping, or do I feel your skin beside me? So is it? Uh, you know, I'm, you know we, we could always speculate, but uh, there, there's a lot going on in this song. Probably more than both of us thought when we came to this discussion. Yeah. I, I think the way I tried to view it was probably when I when I did start really thinking about the song, which was probably a number of years after I heard it for the first time, was I, and I knew something about their relationship already. So, I mean, I, I think I guess I take it as they they do have the relationship, but they're going through issues, they're going through problems, they're wondering what uh, what the future holds. Because again, you gotta you gotta think about some of this from Stewart's perspective and a guy who was very very drawn to those things like family and love he, he's not the kind of guy who's going to be running around on the town and fooling around i remember an interview with richard jobson where he said that um they really one of the things that they used to cross paths on is that jobson used to love the london nightlife and love to go out in the city and and do all these things and experience those things. And he would say that Stuart just wanted to go home and be with his wife and, and be married. And, and they just, they were so diametrically opposed in those types Mm -hmm. of things. So you get that feeling that Stuart is just such a sensitive soul. He was just such a sensitive person and he found that woman and he just focused on that woman and, and the, the rigors of, of touring and all that success and being taken away from her. I'm sure that probably caused him to, to, to look at the relationship in ways that could look like from the outside, like someone who's just trying to start a relationship where in, as in his case, he's trying to maintain it. He's trying to keep it going. And mm. he's, he's, that's so, how uh, I've always looked at it. Yeah, so, so you clearly seem to think of this song as quite autobiographical. Yeah, I do feel like it is. Mm. I, I, that's how I, that's how I take it. Because if, if you it. take that view, then obviously uh, it's not a leap to, see it as a relationship that he had going whereas I'm not sure it is as autobiographical I just think he put a lot of himself into it it could be and we will never know for sure I guess no but it's a fascinating discussion that probably we need to stop if we're gonna avoid the four episodes we feared (laughs) right right (laughs) but I do just have to say uh, about the music a little bit we've we've already heard that beautiful um, composition there and uh but yeah, the the music on this song is is so so magical and as you said ethereal. It, it really does have an otherworldly type of feel to it. And again, some of Tony's finest bass playing is on this song. Uh, the chorus the chorus always just struck me immediately as being so beautiful. The I only see those sad gray eyes. Um, mm. The bass the bass playing in that kind of that ascending bass line and and the way it ends on a little minor. Chord I always thought was just so so beautiful. Yeah, 
it's interesting too that Tony in the liner notes uh, didn't like the lyrics to this song. Remember, he he says yeah. that he didn't like Stewart's lyrical approach to this. If we ever do get him on the show, I'd be so interested to to know what kind of lyric he had in mind for this because clearly he had some kind of idea in mind for what the music conveyed. And I guess to him, it wasn't a love song. Mm-hmm. But I think the music just works perfectly for a love song, and uh, it does. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect marriage the way it works. Yeah, and uh, so. I guess the only thing left to mention is uh, there is an early instrumental version of this on one of the CDs that Bruce put out in the early 2000s. He put oh, really? Out, he put out an album called Last of the Hole in the Head Gang in 2001, and there is an instrumental called Grey Eyes. And wow. maybe, maybe if we dig it up, we can play a little bit of it right now. So, favorite line from Girl with Gray Eyes. What is yours? Yes. Well, I, I went back and forth a bit on this. And uh, uh, as, as we know now, we, we see this a little bit differently. But uh, to me, there's a line where he says, and I can hide me in your dreaming, which again plays into the whole waiting, the dreaming that this will eventually be a realized relationship when begins the winning and all that. So I think that to me is this person, if I can't be with you yet but I want to be, and I can hide myself inside your dreaming. So when you go to your dreams, we'll be together there. So that is a line that just struck me as very, like the utter romantic, the, the utter positive view that this will happen. Yeah. Kind of like the same blind faith you see and hold the heart almost, that uh, of course we'll be together. Yeah, you chose him, but I know you'll be back. And he had a few of those songs, and I see traces of that here, perhaps not as out and out optimistic as hold the heart, but... Uh, or yeah, maybe in a different way though. So, but that line that I can hide me in your dreaming—that is one that uh, just it, it strikes me very, very nice. I smile when I hear that line. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. I thought about that one too, actually. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a great, great, beautiful line. Um, well, you already know mine, and it's the brother that I never had line. I just think that's such a unique, yeah. interesting line that I've never <laughs> ever heard anyone take that angle before. So I got to give it major points for that. And being a, a kind of a melancholy hopeless romantic myself i i kind of really like that line for those reasons too so there it is and what about ranking i rank it as number seven excellent i rank it as number six all right All right, Rain Dance. This is a this is certainly a different kind of song for for Steel Town. I mean, it does fit. There's no doubt about it that it fits. Mm-hmm. But it really is the only song that I would say has has a very 
I don't want to say light, but it's it's got a kind of a light, upbeat feel musically. Now we're just talking music for a moment. Mm-hmm. Throughout throughout the whole song, it's um it starts. I've I've talked in in the, these episodes about these songs that are in a minor key verse and they go into a major key chorus and there's still like this melancholy that goes through the song even when they switch to that major key. Well, here we've got a song that's in the major key throughout, and I think this song really is the most crossing esque type of song that we've got on the album. We've even got some, I think, musical nods to Angle Park in places that I hear, especially at the end where Tony is playing these cool little bass runs with the droning bass string, just like he did in Angle Park, and it it reminds me of that song at at times. Mm. Um, But we've got uh, slide guitar used, I think, for the very first time in big country history. It'll be used again um, in in later years. Songs like Republican Party, Reptile, those types of things. But here we've got the slide guitar used on what is still very a very distinctly Celtic sounding song, which mm. I always th- I always thought was interesting. It's like yeah. I wouldn't put every time I think of slide guitar, I would think of bluesy type of songs. In fact, the songs that Big Country used them on in the future. But then there are also songs like Gloria from U2, where the Edge used uh, slide guitar to great effect, and it sounded nothing like the blues. So. There is a kind of a bluesy feel to the the slide use in this song, but it's still set against chords that are very much big country chords, if I could give them ownership over certain chord progressions. Mm-hmm. The, the, there is that big country feel to it. So I really like that. I really like the, the contrast of that slide use, and then you've got the typical Stuart Bruce type of playing that they've set up. Yeah, because it never strikes you as a slide guitar, because it fits so well with the big country sound. So you never think, ah, here it is, a blues part. No, it, yeah. it sounds like slide, big country slide. It does, it does. Mm. And it, it's it's funny, quick tangent here, we've, we've, most of us, I'm sure there's some who aren't familiar with this, but if you're not, look on YouTube for something called The Tube. Big Country plays on The Tube in 1984, and you'll see their their performance of this song. And um, it's the infamous performance where Bruce's guitar amp was unplugged by someone working on the show accidentally. So <laughs> they quote, kick quote in, unquote, accidentally. Yeah, yeah. Well, so they kick into this song, and Bruce is trying to play the slide part, and there's no music coming out. And he's looking all around. He's still bravely soldiering on, trying to play it, and looking for what's going on. Tries, tries to turn <laughs> his amp up. So he, you can't, he's like, you know, can't figure out what's happening. Basically, the entire song, I believe, I think it comes in toward the end. He finally gets it going again. But what's cool about it, in a way, even though it's not the presentation of the song that they wanted, it's kind of cool from a guitar perspective, uh, guitar player's perspective, because you can actually hear like everything that Stewart is playing in that part. And uh, it, it's it kind of gave me a new appreciation for the way the two guitar parts were were working because that slide is really big and powerful and then you when you just have Stewart's part isolated it was kind of cool because it's this traditional big country type of uh, guitar part that he's playing so it was interesting to hear the song done that way even though it wasn't intended to be done that way so th- that's what we've got throughout this song we've got these great little guitar parts we've got um traditional big country stuff and a lot of people i think you included have often said this maybe this would have been a better single choice and who knows, it could have been. It certainly would have been much more um, in line of what people expected from a big country sound. I don't know, at least the casual big country fans back then who maybe were just uh, still buzzing over 
the crossing and in a big country and fields of fire maybe this would have sat more uh comfortably with them i don't know but i'm I'm still in retrospect glad that they didn't go that route because i think they it's good that they made a clear line in the sand and said this is going to be different and mm-hmm. from an artistic standpoint i love all that i'm just if I think from a suit perspective for a minute, I might think, well, maybe we should have released Rain Dance as the next single. But uh, <laughs> instead I've of said, that, I've East said of that Eden, myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, uh, this song reminds me a lot of uh, Harvest Home, to be honest with you. It, it takes me back to Harvest Home, and that's both musically and, of course, the line, uh, we only take as we have grown. That's mm-hmm. basically another way of saying, just as you sow, you shall reap. Um so I don't have a whole lot to say about the song musically. Um, it's there's it's great. The, the playing is great. The bass is playing is great. The the guitar parts are very cool throughout. I love the structure of it. Um, but there's nothing that like just really stands out. And I think listen to this, you know, little like I've done for maybe some other songs on this album. And that's not in any way a criticism of the song. It's just it, it all works and flows together beautifully. But there's there's nothing that just comes out and, and crushes me with its brilliance although I will say that there is this really cool thing that Mark does um, in the we are not dust we are not stone section of the song mm-hmm. and he basically turns the beat around and I remember a good friend of mine a musician it told this to me once and I, I wasn't aware of it this was years ago and ever since I've always I can never hear the song without focusing in on it because it's kind of a cool little thing to do but what he does is, if you'll notice, if you listen to that section of the song, he turns the beat around. And what I mean by that is that he's playing a snare where traditionally the drummer would be playing the, the uh, bass drum or the kick drum part. So instead of, instead of boom, psh, boom, psh, he's going psh, boom, psh, boom. And if you listen to it, it's kind of a cool little effect that it that it um, creates in the song. And then when the song goes back to um, to the next part, he he fixes that. He turns it around again. So now it's going back in the, what you would traditionally think would be the traditional pattern that a drummer would be playing in there. So it's a very simple beat, but I love how Mark adds his thing to it by doing something that not many other drummers probably would have thought to have done there. They would have just been content to play the kick drum snare but he turns it around and it, it really adds something it's not just done for the sake of some musician wanting to show what he can do it actually really adds a cool little dynamic to the song so i love that um now lyrically th- that's where this song starts to elude me in places and i don't say that as as if i don't like the lyrics because i do but i really struggle in a way to to figure out exactly what's being said here which is a common problem with a uh with a lot of Stewart's early lyrics that I personally don't think is a problem at all because I always love the abstract nature of his lyrics and, and having certain lines conjure a certain feeling, but never really being able to pin down exactly what he's saying. And, and I've said this to you off, uh, offline, but I think, I think we run into the, the issue sometimes when we're dissecting these songs is that we, we try to force them to make sense and we force them to have this obvious narrative throughout. And and that's probably a mistake because a lot of these songs aren't really meant to have 
that kind of a forced or obvious uh, narrative where you say, oh, he's saying this here and he's saying that here. I mean, some some of them, sure. And I know Stewart had an idea in his mind of what he was writing. But as someone else who writes lyrics, uh, I, I, I will have to say that sometimes lines just come to you and you think this just sounds cool. I don't know exactly what it means. It kind of fits the theme that I'm thinking of, but... I like the way it sounds. I like the way the words flow together. I like the, the the feel of these words. And sure, it all keeps with a certain theme. But if you want me to explain the quote-unquote storyline of what's happening in the song, it can't always do that. So I get that feeling in, in, this, in this song at times. So I'm going to throw a few interpretations around. And these are just, uh, just some interpretations. I, I think you get an overriding feel for what the song is about, but... These are just some ideas that, I, that I've thought about through the lyrics, take them or leave them. But one of the first, uh, the first line, actually, of the song is, um, if I hold my hand to you though, you, though you never ask me to, you will know it's time for the rains to come, and you must help me through. And then he goes on to say, if you feel the fear on me that I know the eye can't see, it comes with the sadness that the autumn brings, so we know what has to be. And I kind of took that as almost... A, a declaration of of uh, or a proclamation of the kind of depression that Stuart might have been dealing with, and I know people who've dealt with this, and and so I'm speaking a little bit of ex- from experience here with dealing with people who've dealt with depression. But I know that there are times where they can feel it coming on, where they'll they'll go through. Sometimes depression is a is a thing where you go through the sp- periods where you're fine, and then you go through periods where the depression comes on you, and if you have experience with this you can almost sense when a depressive episode is coming you just get this feeling like okay i'm going to i'm going to be dealing with this here very soon i need to i need to be ready for it do whatever i need to do to get through it whatever that's kind of how i take these opening lines um again we're we're dealing with a, a woman in his life and he's looking to her for help and the line that if you feel the fear on me that i know the eye can't see and I think that's a, a really interesting way of of summing up Stewart, actually, for a lot of us. I mean, even those of us who didn't know the guy but who thought we knew him, et cetera, we never would have looked at him as someone who dealt with depression and, and these types of just soul-crushing issues that he dealt with. And he certainly wasn't someone who exuded that in his uh, in his personal life and the way he carried himself. You wouldn't you wouldn't think that this was a guy suffering from these things. And I think that line kind of lends to that, the fear on me that I know the eye can't see. And it comes with the sadness that the autumn brings so we know what has to be. It's almost like he's saying, okay, this period is coming for me. We know what it's like when I go through this. I need your help to get me through it. The rains are coming. The depression is coming. Um, again, just just some possible interpretation here. It doesn't mean I'm saying that's what it is. I don't know. That's just the way that I look at it. But then the odd thing about interpreting it that way is that, and the thing that doesn't really quite work about that interpretation is that a rain dance, when I think of a rain dance, I'm coming at it from an American perspective where Native Americans, American Indians, it's something to do with a a part of their culture. And they would often do um, these things, these rain dances, to try to stop a dry spell, to try to stop a drought. And I, I was doing a little bit of reading on rain dances, and one thing that I found was really, really interesting is that in Indian culture, 
the rain dance often involved a man and a woman, where a lot of their traditions only involve the man. And here's just something really quick. It says, um, the steps of the rain dance itself are quite intricate, and unlike circle dances, which are seen in many Native American ceremonies, the men and women stood in separate lines and made zigzagging patterns. It is significant that while many Native American rituals involved only men, or at least were more concerned with their influence, the rain dance involved both men and women, showing the importance of rain to the entire community. This rain dance was meant to bring rain for the entire year for a specific season. So I think, I don't know if Stuart was thinking about Native American Indians. I don't know if he was or not, but I I think he probably was familiar with it because maybe there's another, maybe it's done in all the other cultures as well, but... I think it's interesting that we've we've got this talk about the rain coming for a year, and we've got mentions in the song about the year to come and, and a year happening, and the fact that rain dances are done with men and women kind of mm-hmm. coming together to make this power happen, and here we've got this this odd dance of a man and a woman that's happening throughout this song. So just some things to, to think about, um, and then... You know, we've got the We Only Take As We Have Grown line. I already mentioned that reminds me of Harvest Home. And, in fact, this whole song has this great feeling of, um, and he even mentions it, the land and someone out working on the land and needing needing the rain to come in this dry period. And there's all these, I guess what you would say, traditional types of big country themes that go throughout this song, this working class type of thing, um, the harvest uh working with your hands but what i find interesting is that throughout the song there there is this sense of fear from the guy singing it it's like he's he's afraid of everything and it's almost to the point where i'm looking at it and thinking you know come on what's there's really no like really strong statement in the song he's he's afraid in the beginning of what's to come and then he's kind of putting his trust in this woman to help him get through these times if whether they're metaphorically bad times or whatever but then he later says, I fear the woman. I fear her like the frost that the spring can bring or the fire of a cattle brand. And I always love that line, the fire of a cattle brand. Mm. Um, and then the woman's putting her arms towards him. And you would think this is a good thing, right? But no, he's, he's like, are you holding them to set me free or are you holding them to put a, some sort of spell on me? <laughs> so I don't, I don't quite get all of that exactly what he's talking about. I know the, the Rolling Stone article that I read um, brought sex into the equation and I don't see that maybe you will see that <laughs> if anyone would you will and you can let me know where that where that comes into play um, I'm open to anyone else's interpretation but one line that completely eludes me and I don't get it at all I don't, maybe you have some idea on this but <clears throat> when he says or, or hold me like his master's voice and put the spell on me so when you put mm-hmm. your arms on me are they meant to set me free or hold me like his master's voice. And I'm wondering, who is the his there? It's kind of an odd lyric, and I don't know who he's talking about. I don't even have a clue there as far as who is the his master's voice. Um, so I'd be interested if you have any interpretations of that line. Um, but then we the chorus, in the rain dance, I cool it all down. It is the year to come when this one's run. So again, I don't know exactly how to take the I cool it all down thing because – in the traditional interpretation of a, of a Native American rain dance, the rain's coming is a very good thing. I cool it all down. I bring an end to this hot drought. But then in the beginning of the song, he's, he's talking about the rain's coming as if it's a bad thing. We know it's time for the rains to come, and you must help me through. 
So I don't quite know how to take that chorus. Is it? Is he cooling something down that should be should be <laughs> hot, that should be strong? And, and is I know again, take it back to the depression motif. Sometimes when people go through depression, they really you could almost say that they cool down on on things. They they don't have that that's kind of joy about the simple things in life that that could bring them joy or the things that they typically love to do or get excited about. They don't have that feeling anymore and the rains of depression kind of cool everything down but in a bad way. So if you're going to go with that motif throughout it kind of works if you look at it there. But and then we get to the the final verse where he's talking about when we take all this to town and I buy the wedding gown. So I guess in this story this woman he's he's maybe they're bringing their harvest to town i don't know and they're planning on this new life for themselves and again the guy can't stop stop from being terrified of the possibilities of what bad what bad things could happen so um instead of looking to that with promise he says where will we find the newborn year as the winter crashes down <laughs> these guys are wuss <laughs> that's I was, I was stopping short of saying that but yeah it it, it, it uh it gets to that point at some point in the song. It's like um, he's going to marry this woman, but he's scared of her, and he's talking about this new life. But what will happen when the when the awful, awful winter comes? And it's a very confusing song. It really uh, is. I have a take on it, which addresses most of what you've been wondering about, if not absolutely everything. Okay, good. Well, go for it, because I, I think I've said all I can say about the song at this point. I, it's Yeah, I think the last five minutes I've been asking questions about everything. Now comes the half an hour with the answers. All or, right, let's get them. Or maybe not. But uh, <laughs> No, but I think you're touching on it. Uh, you're, you're, you're touching on the core of the song quite nicely, because uh, it's clearly a song about a personal relationship. This song is very clearly being sung to someone. It's about being there for someone. But just... Uh, our, step back first about some personal associations because I get the same vibe as you as far as Harvest Home or more of a The Crossing type feel to this song. Yeah. And uh, it's this song is kind of a breathing room on this album. It's a more upbeat song and the album kind of need an upbeat song and this is it. And I think over the years it's fallen into the same category as Girl with Grey Eyes as being a bit different because of its differentness. So Girl with Grey Eyes was different for its own reasons, and this is different for that. But at the same time, this points back to an album that a lot of people probably would have wanted them to continue making, but it turns out that it stands out because of it, and uh, therefore maybe not being the, the fit that all the other songs uh, are. But uh, no, I, I get a lot of the crossing vibes from it. And I, I like this song because of what it is. I, I absolutely would want it on the album. I think it fits beautifully. I think it provides something that uh, the album would otherwise lack. And the personal association to the title is obviously about the joy of rain that comes. Without going into specifics in the lyrics, just the chorus from itself... Uh, the crossing like the the country life the farmer waiting for the rain knowing your harvest is saved when the rain comes and there's a joyfulness in the music and melody so yeah it's it's a joyous song and maybe a relief song from that point of view and i obviously know about the american indian ritual it was kind of fascinating to hear more about how it works in practice because i i don't have that type of knowledge but uh, i see it more as a reference I never took the rain dance as being about that. Not that 
you said you did, but uh, it's it's a very good metaphor, I think, for right. for that. So uh, so it's a symbolism and it's a metaphor, and with that you go into the personal relationship side of the song, with it being sung to someone. And um, the first verse, which you already read out loud, about uh, just like a rain can save a withering harvest, the metaphorical rain can soothe the troubled mind. So by holding each other, if I hold my hand to you, though you never ask me to, uh, so like he is reaching it out. She didn't ask for it to be reached out. So he's asking for some help here or reaching out to someone and someone who takes that hand and holds it. And that suits the troubled mind. So the rain dance becomes, in a way, what we do to get that soothing. The rain dance is the holding. Uh, both the rain dance and the comfort of someone can bring forth the soothing rain, whether actual or metaphorical. So uh, in the rain dance, I cool it all down. The it being the fear, the sadness that the autumn brings, all these things. It's cooled down by the feeling of the arms and the comfort of this other person. So uh, this thing about you will know it's time for the rains to come and you must help me through, that it, it's kind of puzzling. But uh, when it's time for the rains to come... Uh, it's uh, it's one of those things that perhaps we shouldn't think too closely about, which was your preface before <laughs> discussing this song. <laughs> right. But, uh, so you, you can you can you can stop and, and look at things that doesn't seem to fit. Uh, I, I choose to ignore them, to be honest, because the rest of the song kind of makes sense. So our, if, if we don't ignore it, but leave it to the side for a bit, and continue with um, even with this comfort of these arms around you comes new worry. So he says, when you put your arms on me, are they meant to set me free or hold me like the master's voice and put the spell on me? So you may set me free from all my worries, but I am now getting dependent on you. And putting the spell on someone is obviously a common metaphor for falling in love, and love can be another source of fear and sadness. And the master's voice, I I kind of think of like a master telling his dog, like, sit, and you have to obey. And is this now a relationship where we're going into that kind of the master's voice if you see what I'm getting at I do uh, the the thing that confuses me is that at least from the lyrics I'm reading here on John Gavea's page it says his master's voice instead of the master's voice and that's what that's I don't I don't know why he used used his Mm. and who who is his you know who's he pointing at because the master would make more sense to me but his master's is just an odd choice but again like you say his you know What's the point in trying to figure everything out? There is none. But um. yeah, I think that goes just back to the way the way things were back in the day. And for some reason, I always think of, of some years back and not now <laughs> when it comes to these things. That you would right. have the the male master of a dog, and that doesn't work in terms of this relationship. But I think it's more a metaphor to to that owner of a dog and a dog. Okay. And yeah, that's interesting. I like that. I just took that as, as that way. Again, not thinking too deeply of it. So that, that saves me some of these troubles. Uh, but uh, you clearly have this, this, this fear of being dependent on someone. And also this fear comes through in the song uh, with, I fear you like the frost that a spring can bring or the fire of a cattle brand. You have mm-hmm. frost and you have fire, which is the extremes here. And those illustrate the extremes of emotion that a relationship can go through. You will have the fires, the deep passion. You will have the frosts, uh, the times of disagreements. or it's, it's, it's ups and downs, like every relationship will have. So I like how the seasons are metaphors for moods here. And it's 
really notable for the sinister way that each season is mentioned, <laughs> where, where it comes with the sadness that autumn's bring. And where will we find a newborn year as the winter crashes down? And I fear you like the frost the spring can bring. So it's, it's, uh, it's really like the seasons are these horrible things. So going again back to the crossing and harvest home and the farmer type associations, you, you, you work with the elements and you work with the seasons. You're really close to them. And yes, the winter will crash down. Uh, it's, um, you get through the winter so you can start producing again. You can start your farming again really and uh it's uh and autumn is well the sadness of autumn is universal and the frost that the spring can bring is kind of what puzzles me because frost melts in spring it doesn't bring frost so so that one is is a little weird but um apparently think, yeah yeah go ahead i was just gonna say i think there there are times um coming from a, a family my mom's family were all farmers so i'm familiar with a lot of he used to spend a lot of time on farms as a kid but there there are things that happen often when a late frost can come in Mm -hmm. the spring and it it really can damage and do do serious damage to crops that's unexpected that can really stunt their growth for when the spring comes you are ready for for um certain things to happen but if a late frost comes in the spring that you're not expecting it can really do damage to a farmer's crops, so that maybe that's what he's thinking there. That would make sense because that would be a fear that people have. That I hope there isn't a late frost that damages yeah, yeah. the setup to the to the coming season. Exactly. So, okay. So apparently things are going well for the people in the song, despite all these fears and despite all the things, because. In the rain dance, he cools it all down. It's the year to come when this one's run. And the cooling comes from the relationship. And I think it goes well in the last verse where you see, the, he says, When we take all this to town and I buy the wedding gown, we will find a newborn year as the winter crashes down. So they go there, they get the wedding gown, they get married. And yes, there's a new year and winter will come crashing down again. But we'll, uh, we'll face it together. But it can't go either way. It, it, I'm not sure if it's totally good or totally bad as the winter crashes down as soon as they get married, but hmm. I choose to see it in a positive light because the chorus follows, in the rain down, it cools it all down, it's the year to come again. So that kind of gives it the the hook, the positive hook that they can do it together. So um, I see it as that type of relationship and the doubts perhaps going into it, the ups and downs and... Uh, I think it ends okay. I, I definitely think they end up together there. So, uh, yeah. so the rain dance is. Um, I choose to see it as an upbeat song, the way it ends lyrically, if not all the way through. But the music definitely helps places in in that uh, that direction. So I, I find rain dance to be a song I I really enjoy. I smile of it, and uh, mm. it's good that everything isn't total doom and gloom. And you know there will still be the the sadness of autumn. There will still be winters crashing down or the frost of spring. But uh, they have this rain dance. They have this cool dance, and and they do it together. So that that's nice. Very nice. Uh, it's kind of interesting to note that this song almost didn't make the album. So I understand that they had the nine other songs, and they chose between rain dance and belief in the small man, having space <laughs> for one of them. And as we know, they went with rain dance. And uh, as happy as I am about that, this really was one of those situations where none of the alternatives were bad options. Right, right. Yeah, so... And I, I much prefer Belief in the Small Man as a song, but at the, on the other hand, I don't know if it would have 
if it would have been too similar to maybe some other songs that were on on this album. And I agree that we need this. We kind of need this break uh, from tone in tone. Mm. I think. Fortunately, so. we got both songs, so it's not like we, we <coughs> had to choose between one of them and the other one was discarded. And right. now they're even on the same uh, disc with the deluxe edition. Now, so I, I like this song, and I didn't mention too much of the music, but um, I, th- I think the, the guitar break in the middle is the classic type of big country guitar line. Like, it plays the melody. It's not a solo. It is a nice melody. So he starts mm-hmm. alone, then it becomes a twin guitar thing. And then it becomes a slide thing again. So there's a big guitar thing in the middle that's actually quite big. It sounds big. This is the big in big country. You find it in Rain Dance uh, more perhaps than a lot of the other songs on the album. So that's worth noting out. That I think that's great. And the way the rhythm goes, the, the way it's paced, it's kind of a very danceable tune. So I don't know if that was on, you know, by design as to, to fit down. the title. <laughs> yeah, you know, light up the barn, here we come. I could see how the, I see it being really big at a big barn dance, you know. Mm. Yeah. It's great. It's good. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so All that's right. Rain Dance. So, favorite lyric? <sighs> that's, that's Why don't you go first? Okay, for me... Um, there are no lyrics in this song that I look at as being poet, you know, the kind of poetic brilliance that maybe are in some other songs, but it's still a really great song lyrically and well-constructed. But the one that I like the most, and I'll tell you why, is um, I fear you like the frost that the spring can bring or the fire of a cattle brand. Mm-hmm. I just love, I love the imagery of that. And again, I, lo- I just love pointing to things that are very unique in rock music that Big Country does. And I cannot imagine another song that ever mentions a cattle brand in a rock song maybe there's something in there maybe there's some 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 metal norwegian metal band that's mentioned cattle brands before <laughs> but i don't know no, I wouldn't, in a different I wouldn't way know. but the, the the cool thing about this for me is that when i was when i was going over this it brought back a memory to me about buffalo skinners and just very quick i i remember when i bought the buffalo skinners album uh, the CD I bought it at the shop and I couldn't listen to it until I got it home because I didn't have a working CD player in my mm-hmm. car and it was a long drive home but I sat there reading the lyrics in my car and getting a feel for them and I remember looking at all all go together and seeing the word cattle in there and immediately in my mind I thought oh cattle this is great I love that he's <laughs> writing about cattle again <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I couldn't place where where I'd heard cattle before and um, I probably knew it at the time but like that memory has stuck with me over the years and for some reason I'd, never, I'd forgotten where I'd heard cattle in another big country song or why right. why the word cattle conjured up classic big country for me and of course now I know for again it's because it was mentioned in Rain Dance so when I saw the word cattle and all go together I knew that we were going to be getting another classic big country album so mm. there you go wonderful <laughs> I, I have a couple for different reasons. There's one very outer uh, kind of thing where I only have these hands, I only have the land. And that's just the core of something there, that uh, honest work, hard work. And uh, it, it, it goes back to, I think, the core imagery that uh, the band started out with. And it's, it's kind of invisible lyrics. No one would point them out, I think. It's one of those that... Uh, they're, they're, they're probably the least poetic words you have on the album, but they're the most honest. Mm-hmm. And that's the honesty that kind of attracts me to those lines. But I also have to mention on a more inner level, 
if you feel the fear on me that I know the eye can't see that uh, for obvious reasons that we already talked about yeah great alright so where do you rank this one this one I like a lot and it actually makes the top half of the album for me barely it's number 5 wow cool cool for me it is number 9 so it's it's low I love the song but uh, it, it doesn't do it for me as much as the other ones so it's lower on my list bastard and on that very happy note we will have to end this episode yes it will be four episodes after all the first deep dive to reach four episodes and it's a worthy album to do it with I think but we'll be back in episode 42 and pick up right where we leave off here so see you then I don't know if
Thank you.